This is the plan for a COVID-safe Australia. You will be seeing more people. You will be connecting with more people. Because I understand Australians, having been um, at home for several months, may be a bit cautious. Welcome to Post Pandemic. I'm Courtney Carthy. Each episode, we look at a specific part of society, culture, or the world, and ask a guest to imagine what that might be like after it's all said and done. This episode, Esther Anatolitis, Executive Director of the National Association for the Visual Arts here in Australia, talking creative and unexpected encounters. Esther, thanks so much for being on post-pandemic. Oh, it's so great to be with you, Courtney. Just before we get into the questions, can you let me know just a little bit of what you've seen change in the visual arts here in Australia so far? Um, the federal government has announced some arguably minimal funding grants. State governments are going at that too, um, single-digit million-dollar figures in some cases. I think Tasmania was $3.5 million, which industries are often single-digit million-dollar uh, enterprises here in Australia. If you can't detect my sarcasm, listener, it's right there. What have you noticed as we're in the midst of the global pandemic? Look, I think that's a great question, both the question and the sarcasm, because when we think about <laughs> our accidental encounters, you know, where um, we're all having to read different cues and, and interpret things in different ways, which is, which is, you know, quite hilarious and also perilous. But on the specific question about the visual arts, look, it is an absolute disaster. Um, at the moment, um, every gallery, every artist, uh, every festival, art fair, uh, commercial gallery, um, are, are, are of course closed but it's not just being closed it's seeing all of that um, self-generated income for the year just completely vanish um, and so that means um, artists are wondering how on earth they're going to be able to uh, show work and sell work um, galleries are having to completely rethink how um, public programming and exhibitions are going to work um, art fairs that are premised on large groups of people coming in and being, you know, beautifully, genuinely shocked and surprised and inspired by work. They're having to think about those different modes like going online. And while there's this notion that, oh yeah, you can just pop things online because visual arts is, you know, kind of images. Well, that's again, not quite the case. First of all, it flattens the experience entirely uh, to what you can perceive on your screen. Uh, secondly, there are issues for artists around copyright, image licensing, all those ways that, that artists earn incomes, which are just expected to be jettisoned. And galleries whose work is about, you know, really nurturing those critical, interesting conversations about a work, um, all that vanishes away as well. Uh, when you talk about the single million dollar um, uh, approaches that have been made in some states, if we look at, you know, zoom right out to the uh, arts and creative industries most broadly, it's a $111.7 billion industry that employs 600,000 people and 50,000 practicing professional artists. Uh, it contributes 6.5% to GDP. That is one of the most employment-intensive industries, strongly interconnected to other industries, 
disabilities, strong domestic production, strong regional disadvantage. Uh, it ticks all the boxes for where you would roll out stimulus uh, early and hard and focusing on people who are going to spend that. Um, but of course, that's, that's not what we've seen. Um, there's also the huge problem of the ineligibility of most of the galleries across Australia uh, and also artists and arts workers to the JobKeeper and JobSeeker uh, uh, packages. So a lot of problems there and huge worries about what on earth is going to happen next and who will survive. Oh, God. Well, that's, that's brought us back to earth. Esther, the topic is creative and unexpected encounters. Can you just flesh that out a little bit, a reasonable understanding before we dive into the questions. I think one of the things that uh, distinguishes, say, the visual arts and the performing arts, you know, we sort of think of um, visual arts as being in a gallery and performing arts as being in a theatre where you go and sit down and, you know, watch something. But of course, um, performance also happens in galleries, ephemeral performance, abstract experimental work, work in sound, you know, all sorts of things. And one of the big differences between visual arts and performing arts is that when you step into a gallery or, um, you know, a completely repurposed, unexpected space or a public space, the sort of that arrangement, the, the, the contract, if you will, between the artist and the audience is that you don't know what to expect. You really, you walk into a gallery, uh, a festival, an art fair, and you're really, you're about to experience something that you couldn't possibly imagine. Whether it's um, a work that has been created or crafted in a particular way, uh, whether it's um, um, a, a video piece, a work that requires you to stop, maybe put headphones on, slow down, uh, reflect in different ways. Visual art is very much about that unexpected encounter that just jolts your day, that animates your mind. Um, it's often a solitary experience. It's something that you didn't expect, that you didn't program that in. You didn't say, well, you know, between uh, the hours and 8 and, and, and 9 p.m., I'm going to be in a show about, you know, this kind of thing that I've read the synopsis about. Um, it's something that can really change you can really shift your mindset and open you to something new. That's what we're missing at the moment. You can't just, you know, go for that um, mid-afternoon or, you know, early Saturday morning stroll and walk into a gallery and artist run space um, and experience uh, something that has, you know, completely astounded you. And I think that's, if we zoom out then to what's happening across uh, the coronavirus situation, that's what's happening in our homes. You know, if we want to see each other or talk to each other, whether it's a meeting or with friends, you've got to organize a time, send a link to whichever online medium you're using. You haven't just run into each other at a cafe, at a bar. You haven't just gone to see a gig together or run into someone there. You haven't run into each other at the shops. And all those things, those accidental, those surprises... They make us who we are, the way that we respond, the way that we react, the way that we reinterpret things, the way that sense of horizon and open possibility affects us. That's the, that's the richness of life. And so that's what I'm kind of most interested in, most fascinated by, and also most concerned by, because when we think about what public space means, public space isn't some online mediated place. It's that space where something can happen that is beyond 
what that place was designed for. You know, people don't design art galleries thinking there's a place where, you know, people's lives are going to change. But that is what can happen as soon as you walk in. It's made me a little bit nostalgic for serendipity now. Exactly. That's a great word. Yeah. Like where are the serendipitous encounters in, you know, in this period? And I think we're all going to rush out afterwards and going to want to, um, you know, go to all our favorite places and uh, probably doing that in, in groups, you know, quite a lot, like just seeing everyone who, who we want to see. And then I think we're going to start to have those experiences of, oh, yeah, like I, I, didn't expect that. I didn't know you were going to be here. I didn't think I'd see that work in that way. I had no idea that artists could do that. And then that's where you start to go, right, this is what we were missing. This, this is what Australia's cultural life is. I feel like we're drifting towards our first question, so I'll put it out there. What do you think will be different about creative and unexpected encounters post-pandemic when we're all said and done? Ah, oh, I think we're going to be craving them. And I think some of us won't even know to expect them. You know, I think um, in the ways that we, um, you know, see art or make art, um, we often, you know, we, we choose to go and, and, and spend time in certain places. You know, you'll, you'll go to a gallery museum, you know, go to the library, um, go and visit an artist studio. And so we're going to want to like, program in for ourselves i imagine people are making all sorts of lists already i want to go here i want to do this um and so i think yeah one of the first things that will happen is that we're going to surprise ourselves by being surprised you know we're going to have that experience of going oh god that's that's what i was missing um so i think uh being reminded that what inspires us is uh, those experiences that we couldn't possibly have thought of, you know, I think that's going to be something that, that will change and that we're going to find that we were craving that thing we didn't even know how to articulate. Wow. Something something to look forward to, but maybe not something that you can manufacture. Do you, is there anything on your list at the moment? That's an interesting question, though. Is, is that something you can manufacture? I mean, you know, um, that is, of course, um, the work of the artist, um, artists do um, engage and surprise us in, in, in ways that, that we hadn't thought of. Um, like I'm looking forward to just going on uh, a completely aimless wander. Um, I live in the CBD of Melbourne. I'm going to probably walk along um, Flinders Lane and, and head up to um, uh, galleries I haven't been to for a while. I'll, I'll, I'll go to Neon Park. I'll go to Craft Victoria. I'll probably head around to King, some of the artist runs. I'll, um, um, head up to Collingwood Yards, um, that I should say I'm the deputy chair of. So I'm obliged to tell you how wonderful it is. <laughs> but this has been one of the things that, you know, Collingwood Yards, uh, this is something we've been planning for years and years and years. Let's bring a community of uh, artists and bars and cafes and performing arts and music together in one place so that organisations are there and artists are there in studios, but also people can come along and experience the arts from uh, the, the point of view of kind of going, hey, this is part of my community. Now, those organisations... We're just starting to move in when this crisis broke and we were planning a great, big, beautiful grand opening uh, just in a few weeks time or possibly even now-ish. So I'm so looking forward to just wandering around um, the whole Collingwood Yard site and just 
going into here and drifting out of there and asking people how they make work and, um, you know, sitting down in the corner um, with a drink and just looking at the light, you know, dappled through the trees and, and looking around at artists talking to others and um, and people just in a space kind of going, yeah, this is that set of encounters I didn't know I needed, but that are just so nourishing for me. There's a link to Collingwood Yards in the episode notes or where you're listening now, go to collingwoodyards.org and you can learn a bit more about the project. Um, I think what Collingwood would be within two kilometres from the CBD northeast of that in Melbourne. It's a sort of reasonably old um, working class slash factory sort of suburb yeah, area. it's kind of a place where um, because of, you know, gentrification, rising property prices, artists, um, a lot of artists used to work in warehouses there and have, and have been priced out. So we've been very aware that um, we've kind of ring-fenced this piece of land, which was the former Collingwood TAFE, um, and sort of gone, okay, how can we make this a place for artists, make sure that spaces are well subsidised, that there's a great mix of, um, of, of arts and hospitality and commercial tenancies so that it really is a community uh, that you can like spend, you know, some really good time, like, you know, go to bus projects, go to West Space, go to so many of, of, of the other uh, places, visit artists in studios if they're happy for you to knock on the door and say hi. But yeah, Collingwood is it's a short tram trip or like, a, I think it's maybe 15 minutes on my bike. Um, not very far at all. Great. And with all this change, um, you know, some things get left as the old. What do you think will become obsolete in the creative and unexpected encounters in the time ahead post-pandemic? Yeah, now this is interesting because I think, you know, just as we're, as we're craving those encounters, I think it's going to be fascinating to see um, the different ways that, that people will start to greet each other and whether we're going to be really worried about contagion, you know, for quite some time because we'll open up spaces here, we'll be able to run into each other and see each other, but for some time... Um, um, our international borders are going to be um, closed, I imagine, as we look at, we're just looking around the world at the curve in different countries and the acceleration we're still seeing in some places. And so um, I imagine um, that sense for, for a little while, um, we're probably not going to be able to see um, uh, the work of artists from overseas. Um, we're probably going to, when we come across some work accidentally or see each other on the streets, you know, we are going to be kind of hyper-local. And so that sense of, um, you know, that that broader beyond, we're going to have to just be so so careful about, um, you know, having those strong connections um, globally, which is crucial to us as a, as a multicultural and, and also um, as, a, as a creative community. Um, but I think I can imagine for a while that there will be a huge craving for accidental encounters that are also kind of programmed in some way, like um, uh, festivals of... Um, of physical and social distancing ways of being in public spaces that you know connect us and um and also keep that that safe distance maybe even also 
you know, we've sort of we've been finding different ways to handshake or non-handshake. You know, the the Wuhan shuffle with the with the foot or the elbow. Um, I'm going to be fascinated to see how people greet each other. Um, but I'm hoping very much that what doesn't become obsolete is a sense of curiosity and and wonder. Um, I think we're going to have to be so uh, guided, and this is where artists um, are so important in the way that they think, the way they connect us. I think we're going to need to be guided into spaces in in new ways, um, and for that curiosity and that connection to be drawn out of us, so that we don't uh, stay withdrawn and we don't feel reluctant to, you know, be in a um, to be in an unexpected new space and encounter something that we wouldn't otherwise have. Um, you're obsolete, you know, sort of often taken as a bit of a negative, but there's going to be some positives um, coming from this, you know, that return of surprise you mentioned. But uh, what positives do you see coming from COVID-19 and this whole experience that we're having at the moment when we're on the other side and completely free of you know, coronavirus talk or, you know, news stories or the virus itself? Oh, God, yeah, it's going to be great to see news stories that aren't just about coronavirus. But I think so. <laughs> That's one positive. Done. All right, next question. Surely things are happening in the world we need to be aware of. But I think um, um, I think one of the positives um, will be people craving that experience of, um, of the non-digital, um, of, you know, finding those... Uh, those tangible ways to to connect and be together and we see that in the kinds of things that people are really yearning to do while they're at home I mean how many images on Instagram have we seen of people baking things and pickling things of of, of people making things and asking each other how to make things Um, uh, people knitting and crafting uh, working with their hands origami with uh, working with wood uh, drawing painting Um, there's that a really really strong physical you know kind of visceral human urge to make things and to create things and also I think one of the frustrations we often have when we visit galleries and particularly those that um, uh, 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 have a show of sculpture or work that is um, crafted design work you want to touch things you want to see and experience things and, and and touch things and so I think something that there'll be a huge um craving for is how do we now unflatten our experience we've been um in front of screens we've been mediated in in what we've been doing um you know how do you uh how do you then remind yourself of the dimensions of the world, of how time is experienced? And this is something that um, artists are, you know, especially, um, you know, I think attuned to. We think about ephemeral and 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 experimental works that, you know, kind of slow us down and and and, and kind of set the brain into this whole other pattern. So, using the brain differently but also using the hands differently the things that we're going to want to you know touch and feel and and explore uh, what will be different in your daily life you know you've got the the the, the exploration the you know walking around um you know just being able to experience things again but day to day um what do you think will have changed for you for good 
Ah, uh, I think I'm really gonna I'm gonna place even you know more value on the time that I can spend um, just uh, in contemplation of a single work. And for me, like really specifically for me in, in, in my line of work as executive director of NAVA, I travel a lot in my work and that has been a huge change for me doing you know, my meetings online and, and so on. So in travel, I spend a lot of time in airports, on planes, on you know trains and regional buses. Um, and the amount of my time that that takes up means that when I'm then in a different town or a city and I've got to be focused on, you know, those events or those meetings and, you know, saving the organization money by just traveling for that specific period of time to do those events or those meetings. And that means that I come back and I think, oh, well, you know, I was in Perth and I didn't get to spend enough time at Pika and I didn't go to Cool Change and I didn't go to the places that I really wanted to spend some, some good time uh, you know, just just being in the space and experiencing the work. And so it's not just about um, those particular galleries, but it's, you know, I don't want to feel rushed when I'm experiencing a work of art. I want it to let me, I want it to draw me in. I want it to tell me what it wants to tell me. I want it to, you know, recompose my thinking and completely reset my day and and I know that when that happens I feel invigorated and energized and and you know like I feel physically stronger my muscles feel better I mean it's all of those things that that is what art does and to be able to just you know come into the orbit of a work like that uh, while also doing my job this is what I really need to make sure um, that I'm doing more of you know like it's just as fundamental as taking the time to inhale and exhale so yeah that is what I'm really looking forward to I I I imagine based on um, based on your answer there that there's probably going to be a impassioned narrative for visual art that comes from this as well. Oh God. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And, and for, for every subsector of the arts, I mean, at the moment that impassioned narrative is focused on the enormous um, frustration of the inaction of the federal government. So for example, um, you know, so we're having to have some very, yeah, dry kind of policy conversations instead of some, you know, broad inspiration conversations. Like, you know, to give one example, uh, the overwhelming majority of galleries in Australia um, are in regional and suburban locations and they're owned by local government. They've got some extraordinary collections. In many cases, those collections um, are like, you know, the asset value of those is often the biggest asset on council's bottom line. Like they're, you know, they're the lifeblood of the community. They're a place where people gather. They employ lots of people. Um, and they're, you know, enormously important um, to uh, regional and suburban cultural life, to regional tourism. But unfortunately, none of those uh, institutions are eligible to apply for any government support, including the cash flow stuff, including the JobKeeper stuff, because they're local government. And the Australian government has said that 
uh, government uh, is not allowed to apply and neither are universities. Even though universities are charities who are eligible, uh, the Treasurer came out and said, oh, no, uh, universities can't. And some of our great uh, galleries in Australia are also owned by universities. So we're in a situation where we just don't know um, which galleries and their staff are, are going to be able to hobble through and survive. Um, it just makes no sense whatsoever, you know, when you've got the biggest disruption to our cultural life that we've ever experienced, the very first thing we should be doing is looking at um, how does how do our cultural practices and experiences survive, you know, we're expecting Australians to change their behaviour and stay at home, you know, any corporate expert will tell you that if you want people to change their behaviour, that's a cultural change process. You need to look at what people really value, how we express ourselves and our identity. Um, and so the conversation with the arts and cultural sector should have come first. The stimulus should have been large and it should have been very specific. Um, and so, yeah, we're now at a point where we just don't know what the future of the arts is across across all art forms. It's it's um, it's it's perilous and it's truly shocking that the government has such little understanding of the size and the impact of the industry. Dare say you're you're going to speak publicly to a room full of people again, perhaps um, as a keynote or or on a panel and gone over the, the experience and where the government's, um, I suppose, let the sector or the industry down. We move into the, the Q&A of the event and somebody stands up and says, how would you describe the experience of going through the pandemic? I'm, you know, too young to have experienced it myself. Esther, can you tell me what it was like mid-pandemic COVID-19 all those years ago? Uh, I would say that is a great question, young person. And you know, in this in this new world where we're so we're so interconnected, we've got a strong sense of you know of the tactile as well as the digital. I would probably say that it was a supremely culturally disorienting time. Um, I would say that it was a time where people kind of going, "Wow, like what what makes us um, Australian? What?" draws us to each other. Um, what are those shared uh, moments, those shared cultural experiences? Um, you know, how do we respond and engage to uh, a, a, a creative work? How do we, you know, um, explore our world and make sense of it? And then there was this time during this uh, coronavirus pandemic where all of that sense of horizon and possibility was contracted down. It was flattened onto a screen. Um, uh, the Australian government even cut local content requirements on free-to-air and subscription TV. So this notion of what it meant to be Australian meant we were just consuming the culture of other countries while desperately trying to find ways to make things together, uh, you know, these kind of hilariously lo-fi, high-tech ways of, um, you know, these... Um, uh, uh, online meetings with, with artists and, 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 and seeing their work and being shown how to make something, being talked through something. So I would talk about it as just being really dizzying, really culturally disorienting, you know, kind of knowing that 
our own, you know, complex sense of cultural identity, you know, ethnic identity, gender identity, uh, First Nations connections, uh, rich First Nations history. I would say that um, we just had this this massive discombobulation, um, this deep confusion, um, and all through it, um, we were really craving to find those ways to rediscover that confidence and that curiosity that what it means you know what what culture and connection and, and expression means is how we respond to the unexpected and the confidence and the strength and the resilience and the curiosity the openness that we build that's what makes us who we are um so that's probably what i'd say it was this you know tumultuous you know disorienting time and then through it we found our own sense of um of that openness and curiosity, that means of creating a future together. I fail to have the perspective to to really um, perceive that, but I, I, you know, the the other side at the moment. But it seems so um, familiar the you know the discombobulation of culture at the moment. I don't, I don't feel like I have a lot to lean on in that sort of sense. Um, you know, going through it day by day, which um, uh, I didn't realize until you, until you described it like that. So, so thanks. Yeah, of course. I mean, it's sort of, it's kind of like that, you know, like when the teacher says, put your hand up, up the back, if you can't hear me, you know, like you don't, (laughs) (laughs) you you don't know that something's not there until it's not like, you know, you're out with some friends on a Friday night and you walk into a pub and there's a band there playing and you had no idea they were going to be there. You hadn't expected to go and find them. And then suddenly you're in this whole other world together or you know you are um picking up a book that that someone had had recommended and you know kind of you know curling up but you've 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 gone into a bookshop to to go and find that book but you've chatted with the person who works there and they've said oh well you know if you're interested in that, look, there's this book that's just come out by an Australian writer. Uh, she just lives down the street and um, she's doing a talk, actually, just after lunch today. You should come back. Or, you know, you, um, you're you at a market on a Saturday morning, like the Rose Street Artists Market, um, also in Collingwood, or possibly Fitzroy, I think that might be. Um, and you come across... Um, um, an object that someone's made and you've actually got no idea what it is and you have that conversation with them about, well, what is it? How does it work? Um, you know, y- your eye is drawn to something um, before your hands start to think about what it does and, and, and what it can be. Um, and that's that whole experience of, of, of art and potential and, 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 and possibility. Mm, it, it reminds me of... Um something that's fallen by the wayside with e-commerce, which was my mum telling me, the man in the shop says it goes like this. And you're like, oh, right, okay. We're like, we're all learning something. And it's kind of like, it's that, it's that person you meet, but then it's also like, when, when you see something unexpected, how do you respond? And there's been a lot of conversations, very importantly at this time, around mental health and around what um, isolation means to people, uh, also about like, you know, we should be using that word physical isolation, not social isolation. It's obviously, you know, social isolation is um, a far more, you know, terrifying prospect. Uh, we're not socially isolated, probably more connected um, in some structured means than we have been ever before. 
when we're back out in the world again, the way that we respond to the unexpected, um, I think people are going to, you know, there's going to be a bit of a two, three, four, five speed economy, you know, in that, depending on the strength of our mental health, the way that we handle our anxieties. Uh, and that's one of the extraordinary things that art does. It confronts you with something unexpected. It, it, you know, it inspires you, it tantalizes you with something that you didn't expect to see. And then, okay, how are you going to respond? Um, are you um, retreating? Are you anxious? Are you completely open to the next thing? Uh, does it make you want to ask questions about how that was done? Um, are you questioning maybe a politics of um, of making of of power relations of you know where am I in this? Um, who has the right to ask the question? Why am I here? Um, you know how under what conditions was this made? Um, how was how was the artist engaged? You know, um, what does it mean for a gallery to be able to have its doors open for free at all times? How does that work? So those um, kind of emotional um, and creative questions are also political, and those questions of how we engage and how we ask those political questions are also critical to us as citizens in creating public spaces. So I think that aspect of the unexpected as well is something that we're going to need to reconnect with in in some really um, really urgent ways when we start to think about what's happened also to our rights and and and, and freedoms at this time. With the the extra time that you have, perhaps you want to indulge in writing a book, a film or a TV series about the global pandemic, which I'm sure nobody else is doing at the moment. No, no. <laughs> if you were to, though, what would you call it? Would you choose book, film or TV series and what would you call it? Mm, I think I would do a TV series and it would be about kind of your world shrinking down and then opening up again. Um, it would probably be a bit avant-garde actually looking at, you know, kind of surprise encounters that you've got no capacity to respond to and then ones that you do want to respond to. And, oh, God, what would I call it? Something about, um, you know, uh, what's a non-cliched way of talking about the unexpected? It would probably have to have some just really, yeah, abstract kind of name like, you know, um, oh, something about an unexpected sound or light or, mm, I don't know. But it would, it would be something that kind of um, is disorienting to watch and then becomes kind of clearer and clearer, I think, as you, as you go. That is almost like... Um, um, you know, different ways of revealing and concealing. Um, mm, I'm not coming closer to a name, but I feel like the discombobulation of this is becoming clearer in my mind. <laughs> Look, you can always fall back on the classic visual art, untitled bracket. I wasn't sure what to call this, but it's about discombobulation and changing and being in a small place and then suddenly being surprised and that could sort of run on for a while. Close bracket. <laughs> oh, yeah. Something like, yeah, controlled disarray or, you know, chaos and control to, you know, to, to, to bring Max and 99 into it. I mean, it really is that. It's kind of like, what are we in control of right now and what aren't we? And, um, and then how do, we, how do we welcome that beautifully constitutive chaos that makes us who we are, that we yearn to respond to? Coming soon to a screen or streaming service near you, the final question, Esther, what should we be paying attention to now 
that will affect life after the pandemic. So walking down the street, I'm, you know, hello to you listening to this in your headphones, looking around. What's something that we could possibly look up on our phones and read about that will be transformative might be a, a too big a word, but something that is happening now that will be influence life after pandemic for visual arts and encounters? Oh, yeah. Look, I think three things. First of all, um, uh, do follow those um, links that um, uh, your friends and their friends are posting about um, um, artists' work and studios and so on and, 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 and the work that galleries are putting online and, um, yeah, really kind of have a, have a good look at a place that you might not have had the chance to walk into um, and, and see what it's possible for them uh, to be sharing online right now and then pop it on your list to go and visit uh, that gallery or that artist in their studios. That would be a first thing. Secondly, I think um, as we're doing that kind of um, you know, physically isolated walking, particularly um, if you live somewhere that is um, in an inner city or a regional place that is close to um, um, either other galleries or uh, places you can walk down a street or a lane and, 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 and see something unexpected, look really closely, I guess, at, um, at street art, at, at um, different kinds of graffiti, at objects that people are placing in very unexpected places uh, there to be discovered. Um, I think the ways in which artists and street artists in particular are kind of quite literally writing the story on the street at the moment, um, I think is is supremely interesting. And then thirdly, from um, a, a creative and a, and a political sense, I think it's really important for everyone to be asking the question of why um, has the Australian government not prioritised um, the arts and cultural sector at this time when we've had... Um, all of the leading economists, for example, including the government's own economists, you know, the Australian Bureau of Statistics, the Grattan Institute, the Australia Institute, Deloitte Access Economics. Um, every major economist has come out and said the arts industry is the worst hit. Um, its businesses and, and employees are, you know, we're talking about more than three quarters uh, who will lose work. Uh, less than half of businesses are still open. Uh, and... Um, and the incredible amount of people who, who are engaged in these industries means that um, had there been stimulus, um, it would have made a difference to the entire economy. So as we judge um, this government's performance, and they've talked about, you know, it's a time for letting go of ideology, we can see now that that's absolutely not true. Um, with their... Um, uh, rejection of um, universities, local government, the entire arts and creative industry, the way that they're treating teachers. This was a, a really important opportunity uh, for the Australian government to think in a very responsible way about what Australia's cultural life is and what it can be into the future. And so I think we all need to pay very close attention to the decisions they're making, the ones that they're refusing to make, and then what comes next um, for Australia's cultural life. 
Esther is the Executive Director of the National Association for the Visual Arts here in Australia, based in Melbourne. Do subscribe and leave a review wherever you're listening. I'm Courtney Carthy. Thanks for your company. Coming up soon, another episode of Post-Pandemic, wherever you get your podcasts. Post-Pandemic is hosted by me, Courtney Carthy. Production is by Neely Media. Cover artwork by Studio Baker. And our theme music was created by Alex Shulgan.